Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a PGY1 psychiatry resident physician. In this podcast, we discuss whole person health and wellness through an osteopathic lens, holistically addressing the body, mind, and spirit. We also discuss topics important to medical trainees, including pre-med students, medical students, and residents. Thanks for joining me. Well, hello there. I am back recording after eight weeks of no episodes. And a lot has changed in my life. If you haven't been looking at my Instagram or my Facebook accounts, you may not know this, that I had a baby. I continued to have episodes throughout my pregnancy and managed to stay on top of it, but it's quite different when you have a newborn in the house to find downtime. Right now, she is currently asleep. I just fed her and put her down, so I'm hoping that she stays quiet for the next 20 to 30 minutes so that I can record this. So I wanted this episode to be a little bit about my story, specifically focusing on my birth story. I wanted to start out by saying that this is especially a big deal for me. I was diagnosed with infertility in the summer of 2022, a little bit over a year ago. And in the fall of 2022, I was finally diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome after over 10 years of having irregular periods without a diagnosis or a known cause. I have several hours of raw audio throughout my fertility journey that I still haven't sorted through. And this will eventually be published as an episode or probably more likely a series of episodes in the near future. I just wanted to start out by saying this to share that my path wasn't easy and emphasize just how grateful I am to have my baby girl. She has been prayed for for years And there were many times that I doubted my ability to ever have children. I know that many of you listening may relate to this. When I was going through my own struggles, I found it hard to listen to other people speak about their pregnancies and their children, especially when they spoke about what I would consider a huge blessing in a negative light, complaining and taking for granted how good they have it. Of course, my experiences... Since becoming pregnant, we're not all glamorous, but I hope to portray my journey from a standpoint of absolute gratitude and never take my daughter any of the events leading up to the birth of my daughter for granted. I hope this can better frame this episode knowing this. I know many of you may struggle with infertility and I have to also remind myself of what my feelings were while I was dealing with that myself. I also know that not everyone will have a happy ending like I have. And even if they do, their journey may have been riddled with even more complexity than mine. I also just want to give a warning that, yes, you are listening to an episode speaking about the ups and downs of a birth story. So with this, I'll be using pretty explicit language, mostly with scientifically accurate terms, but nonetheless won't be censored when I talk about bodily functions and the details of childbirth. So proceed with caution with that. This is a little bit different than my other episodes. Again, I can't wait to talk about how I was able to conceive despite my diagnosis of PCOS. To keep things short for the context of my birth story, 
I'll just briefly say that I used Clomid, also known as Clomiphene Citrate, and several other supplements and lifestyle changes that I will speak much more on in its own episode or even series of episodes. To start out at the beginning of my pregnancy story, I found out I was pregnant in the first week of December, and this was in my last year of medical school as a fourth-year med student. This also meant that this was during residency interview season. I would love to speak more on the complexities with that in a separate episode, but I also speak about what it was like to be pregnant during my last year of medical school in an article that was published in Academic Psychiatry this year. I would love to talk in the future more about my pregnancy journey specifically, but here's just a little bit that I'll share now. A very important memory to me now is what I felt the first time I saw my eight-week gestation baby on an ultrasound image. She already had a beating heart and almost a personality in the way that she moved around with only little buds for limbs that would later become her arms and her legs. I didn't even know she was a girl yet and she didn't have a name even though I had a list going already but I felt overwhelming joy that my husband and I created a baby that God created this human being that had a little bit of me and a little bit of him and she was made in God's image and she would someday become a child that I would watch grow and have her own interests and then become an adult who would work hard towards accomplishing her own hopes and dreams and could go on to maybe even have a family of her own. A lot of people will encounter this, but I feel like I especially did as someone who struggled with infertility. Every step of the way, I thought she was just too good to be true, like I didn't deserve it. Like something would go wrong at some point. After all, I never thought I was able to get pregnant, but I was so blessed by God to be able to conceive. Certainly, God has blessed me in so many other areas in my life, and I certainly felt like I didn't deserve this blessing. But I took it one day at a time and prayed every day, multiple times a day, for her health and her proper development, and I thanked God so much for her just for her existence alone. And I luckily had a fairly uneventful pregnancy. Really, the only complication I had, if you would consider a complication, was was that I was colonizing group B strep. I received almost all testing available during my prenatal course, including first trimester and IPT, or genetic testing, anatomy ultrasound, the glucose tolerance test for gestational diabetes. Everything was negative, pointing towards a healthy baby girl. But I had a rough first trimester. While in the middle of interview season for residency and while finishing clinical rotations, I had significant nausea, not just in the morning, but all day, most days. In case you haven't heard this, morning sickness is a misnomer. Though I only vomited once, I just really felt sick just all the time with only partial relief. I used ginger, which seemed to help for at least a few hours. I also used C-bands, which seemed to help but may have been placebo. And I used Unisomeni, which would always knock me out. So I'm not sure if it actually helped with nausea or it just made me sleep. So I didn't know I was nauseous if I was asleep. 
Around 14 weeks, the nausea and fatigue seemed to improve, and my second trimester and early third trimester were pretty comfortable. I actually loved being pregnant during this time. Despite always measuring on track as far as uterine fundal measurements go, I carried pretty small and was able to fit into most of my clothes until around 32 weeks, and that was around the time that I started residency. I also continued running until I reached the third trimester. I started to become really uncomfortable around 34 weeks, but I managed to dodge many typical late pregnancy symptoms like swelling, varicose veins, fatigue, back pain, and hemorrhoids. I did have the worst constipation of my life in the last few weeks, but this just improved with over-the-counter laxatives. So really, the only symptoms I had was just feeling really big. When I went in for my week 39 appointment, I was... 39 and 1. It was a Monday. I was at 1.5 centimeters dilated and 50% effaced. While I was there, I had my membranes sweeped, also known as stripping of the membranes, and this caused some cramping afterwards and until the next morning, but I didn't feel like I was having any contractions since the cramping was pretty consistent instead of coming and going while getting stronger each time like you would expect with contractions. But starting on Tuesday afternoon, this was when I was 39 and 2, I started to have some feeling of tightening that I wouldn't describe as painful but felt like a lot of pressure, a lot more pressure than a Braxton Hicks contraction. But I couldn't time these because the feeling didn't have a distinct start and end. But on Wednesday afternoon, and this was when I was 39 and 3, I started to have painful contractions occurring about 5 to 10 minutes apart from each other. So I called labor and delivery on Thursday morning. This was when I was 39 and 4. And I called because I was told to call whenever contractions were about 5 minutes apart. And I really had a lot of trouble sleeping that night. Though I was able to sleep through contractions up to an hour or two of sleep at a time. I felt like I was dealing well with them, but my midwife did tell me that this was the threshold I needed to come in, contractions about five minutes apart. And I knew I shouldn't wait too long to come in because I would need to start antibiotics for my group B strep colonization. But when I called, labor and delivery said that I should actually have contractions closer to three minutes apart. So I went to work and I was on my internal medicine rotation. I saw my patients and wrote my notes while having contractions. And then during rounds, I continued to time my contractions, which started to occur about three minutes apart. So when I finished that last discharge summary, I called labor and delivery again. This was around lunchtime. And no one answered since everyone was on lunch, so I went to the cafeteria myself to have lunch and then called after. Because I was having contractions three minutes apart, they said I should come in. So I walked up to the second floor of the hospital and they admitted me to triage. When they checked my cervix, I was again at 1.5 centimeters, this time 70% faced which was really not at all what I was expecting after having contractions for close to 24 hours. They kept me so they could recheck me in an hour. 
Of course, since I was attached to the monitors, my contractions started coming less often, so I looked like a liar. But I was kind of glad about that because I had a little bit of relief. After an hour, I was still 1.5 centimeters, so I was sent home. I was told that I should come back when my contractions are five minutes apart, which they already were. I probably looked confused to them, so they instead said that I should come back when I was more doubled over in pain and not as calm as I currently was. But I was still a little bit confused about this since I was already in more pain than I've ever had in my life and I couldn't imagine the contractions coming any more often than every three minutes. I'm someone that is pretty stoic when it comes to pain, but at the same time, I consider myself to have a low pain tolerance with past instances of getting close to passing out from pain. I remember having my first pap smear and having to lay down for a few minutes before I left because I was pale and almost passed out. So I may not have looked like I was in much pain, but I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know how I was going to survive the night. I told myself I would just come back the next morning and hopefully I'd be dilated more. The staff said it was safe for me to drive home, but I really had to be mindful about breathing through contractions, though it never really affected how I was driving at all. I even stopped by Target on the way home and bought some Tylenol, which I took religiously as often as I could that night, but didn't really seem to make a difference. That night, I was not able to sleep through my contractions because they were getting more intense. I continued to time my contractions and realized that I would actually fall asleep for about three minutes between each contraction because I was so tired. I really tried everything that all the books and apps told me to do, adjusting my position, swaying my hips... When a contraction hit, I realized that trying to change my position always made it worse no matter what. So I usually stayed in the same position and just breathed through it. Despite being in enormous pain the day before, somehow the contractions did seem to be getting worse. It was so bittersweet because I was in so much pain, but I also knew that every contraction I had would lead to more dilation and lead me closer to the end and closer to meeting my baby. So I welcomed them in a way, but was also miserable at the same time, in pain and sleep deprived, though luckily in the comfort of my own home instead of the hospital. Maybe it was a good thing that I wasn't dilated enough when I was at the hospital earlier, because otherwise I would have just spent the night in the hospital with all of that pain instead of at home. But as the night turned to morning, I started to cry and whimper during contractions. They got pretty bad. I didn't know how I would convince the hospital to check me in again, but I knew I couldn't deal with this much longer at home. There was also no way I could go to work. The contractions were now different than the ones I was able to deal with through rounds. I couldn't talk through them now or even really think through them. I knew I was going to have to call out sick, but I still wasn't sure when I would make my way to the hospital again. A little bit before 5 a.m., I woke up and went to the bathroom and saw bloody show. This gave me the reason that I needed to call again and ask if I should come in. At 5 a.m., they said I should come to the hospital. 
This time, there was no way I was driving, so I had my husband drive, who luckily already called off work to support me either way if I was going to stay at home or go in. I also updated my mom about how I was going back into the hospital, and she also took off work. This time, I really did want to be admitted because I didn't want to be at home like this anymore and then have to make the trip back to the hospital again. When I got to the hospital, I was found to be four centimeters dilated, which was their minimum to admit me. It was around 6.30 when I was admitted, and on that day, I was 39 and 5. They hooked me up to the monitor, started me on fluids, and started the antibiotics. Like the day before, I felt like my contractions eased up by not coming as often, but they were just as strong as I was dealing with overnight. Again, I was pretty stoic about the pain, so the nurses seemed pretty surprised that I really was in active labor. My mom came in around 9.30 a.m. Shortly after, I asked for my epidural and had it sometime before 11 a.m. I had to wait a little bit because the anesthesiologist had to run to help with the C-section after he got my consent. The epidural procedure was very bad for me because I apparently have a small spine with vertebrae that are close together. So the anesthesiologist had to try quite a few times to get it. I think it was around five times in total, but I honestly lost track. It was hard to say if the pain from that was worse than contractions, but immediately after receiving the epidural, the pain relief I felt made it so worth it. I felt totally comfortable for the rest of the time. I really did. My choice about getting an epidural was really made over a year ago when I did my OBGYN rotation as a third-year medical student. I helped with over 12 deliveries, and all of them had epidurals except for one. The deliveries that of women that received an epidural were really nothing like the movies. These women were able to talk between contractions like they weren't in labor and were still able to push well without the pain. But the one woman who didn't get one, and she actually wanted one, but was too far along since this was not her first baby and she went into labor quite rapidly, she had horrific screams that was exactly like the movies if not worse than that and what really got to me was that when her baby was finally born she couldn't even look at him and didn't seem to care because she was in so much pain i know it's just one anecdote but i didn't want to have that experience like that for myself so that's why i was always biased towards getting an epidural and this choice was easy in the moment to make as well i'm hoping that on this recording you are not hearing my baby grunting in the background, but I just put her down to sleep again and she seems content for the time being, but we'll see. So as I was saying, after getting my epidural, around 12.30, I was checked again and was at seven centimeters. Then they broke my water and started Pitocin. My contractions continued to increase on the monitor, but I didn't feel them at all with the epidural. At this time, my mom switched off with my with members of my husband's family who traveled from out of state, which included his parents, his sisters, and his grandma. They rotated every few minutes so that they could each see me. 
When the contraction started to get very strong, I started to feel the rectal pressure at the beginning of contractions that the OBGYN said I would start feeling. So when that happened, I called in the nurse to check me and I was at 10 centimeters and this was a little after 3 p.m. I started pushing when I felt the pressure, which I still retained the feeling of even with my epidural. I knew when a contraction was coming without looking at the monitor and without feeling the pain. The first push effort I made, it didn't feel like I was doing it right at all, but the advice from one of the nurses really helped me. She said that it should be like having a bowel movement and that really seemed to help me. And yes, I was told I did poop by my husband a few days later. I'm glad that he didn't tell me it in the moment because I would have been so self-conscious. I felt like the the two nurses were playing good cop, bad cop, since one told me I was making such great progress and the other one said that, I don't know if I'm getting this exact quote right, but she said, you need to push harder or this baby is not going to come out. And this was scary, but oddly motivating and it seemed to work. I was also told that my baby started low in this process, so it didn't take long before the nurses called in the OBGYN. I had my husband on my right side and my mom on my left side. Pretty soon, the doctor was able to move my hand so I could feel my baby's head. And they brought in a mirror so I could see her crowning and see the progress I made with each contraction. After pushing for 38 minutes, my daughter was born at 3.53 p.m., I will always vividly remember the feeling of pressure being released when her head exited and the weirdest feeling of the rest of her body being delivered. The first sight of her face was her crying with her eyes shut with a loose nuchal cord that was quickly and easily unwrapped from her head by the OBGYN. She was placed on my abdomen where the pediatrics team quickly attended to her. My husband cut the cord while my mom said over and over again, she is so cute. I couldn't get a very good look at her and then they brought her to the warmer pretty quickly. My husband and mom went over to see her. She definitely had a strong cry, which I was so grateful for. And her APGAR scores were 9 and 9 due to some blue tinted fingers and toes. The OBGYN delivered my placenta quickly and easily. Then she repaired my second degree tear. Luckily, no episiotomy, no vacuum, no forceps needed. After my baby was assessed by the team, she was placed on my chest. And it was just such a surreal moment to finally meet her in person after feeling her move around for months. I started to cry from the happiness that she was healthy and finally here. She latched on for breastfeeding immediately, though I had to help her get a deeper latch. Luckily, she did pretty well with breastfeeding, though I had to learn from the nurses how to best position her for comfort for her and for me in the next few days while I was in the hospital. I stayed in the hospital with her from that Friday afternoon until Sunday morning when we were discharged with no complications for either of us. I always loved to hear birth stories when I was pregnant. I definitely had mixed feelings about them before I was pregnant, though, when I was dealing with infertility. Really hope that my story can be something you can relate to, maybe something inspiring or just entertaining to hear. And 
before I end this episode, I just want to touch on a few things that I learned and some advice I have, I guess. So one thing is that I learned you have to listen to your body more than counting how often contractions are coming when you're in early labor. I know that hindsight is 2020, and this is close to impossible to know for a first baby, though. However, if I was able to work on that Thursday, I probably wouldn't be ready to come in even though I was told I should. So the contractions were telling me I should go in the hospital, but my functional status really said, no, you're not ready yet. And I would have just saved some extra time if I just went home that day instead of checking into the hospital. I really only did it because that that's what I was told to do, though I felt like I was tolerating the contractions pretty well. Another thing is that everyone responds to pain differently. I'm not a screamer. I'll whimper if the pain is really bad, but you'll rarely see me make faces and I'm not going to scream like some women do. But other women do scream and they curse and that's their way of dealing with pain and there's no right or wrong way to do it. But it's a problem when you expect a woman to respond a certain way or else you think that she's lying about her pain. I'm definitely going to see my patients differently after this. Some physicians will look at someone sitting comfortably and think they're lying if they say they have 10 out of 10 pain, but I fully know that it's possible to do that now. Another thing is that having people you love coach you through contractions makes a big difference. In my case, the coaching was telling me to fully relax between contractions. And finally, I wish I got my epidural sooner. Even as a doctor, I thought there was thought there was something to do with trying to labor as much as you can before getting the epidural, but it really doesn't make any difference. I progressed pretty well with the epidural and pushed for only 38 minutes. And in addition to this anecdote, I was reading some studies while in the hospital bed before I decided to get my epidural. And these studies showed that it doesn't slow down labor as much as you might think. I also felt like my epidural allowed me to enjoy labor more. That might be a weird thing to say, but it's kind of true. I was still able to feel everything, just not the pain. And that's something that the books I read on labor never told me. There really shouldn't be so much stigma about getting an epidural. I've read so many places that it's no longer natural labor to get an epidural as if there's something terrible about that. So that's my story. I, again, I hope to have more episodes about pregnancy and labor as well as raising a baby in future episodes with some of my anecdotes from my personal experience. Also, this episode is coming out during residency interview season. I've helped so many of you out with ERAS applications. I continued to accept orders on Fiverr throughout my maternity leave. So the busyness of doing that also kind of prolonged the hiatus of First Line. But it was something that I found really fulfilling to do. So I still have those services available for now it's third year students working on their 
personal statements and their CV when applying to fourth year away rotations. But if you are in the residency interview process right now, I really wish you the best of luck. I know just from thinking back to a year ago, it was a very stressful season of my life, so I can definitely relate to that. So take it one day at a time, one interview at a time, and you'll do great. View the show notes for additional information about this episode and access the link to First Line's website. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to First Line on your favorite podcast app to hear a new episode every Monday. Thanks for listening.